Hey listeners, this is Charu Sharma from Silicon Valley and you're listening to Working Moms. We invite impressive working moms from all walks of life to learn about their choices, trade-offs, work-life balance, re-entering the workforce, self-care, their definition of success, financial planning, and much more. We're thrilled to welcome Tacey Byam from Pittsburgh. She's the CEO of DDI. It's one of the world's leading consulting firm that helps organizations hire, promote, and develop exceptional leaders. Uh, Tacey, I've known you for a few years. We've never actually met in person, but we both went to Mount Holyoke, and I've kept in touch with you online. I am so excited to have you on our show, Working Moms, today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sharu, and it's great to be with you and with all the listeners to this podcast. So hello, everyone. Oh, absolutely. We're so glad you could come. Um, and so let's jump right in. Uh, so my first question to you is, uh, let's just get the elephant out of the room. It's been really trying times uh, with COVID-19. How have you been as a mother, as a CEO, as a woman? How have you been? Well, let me start with uh, uh, as a business leader, and thank you for introducing uh, DDI. So um, DDI is actually 50 years old this year. It was founded by my father. Um, and over those 50 years, we've grown up to be a global consulting firm. Um, we have about 1,100 employees globally. We are in 26 different countries. Uh, we service clients in over 70 different countries. Um, and 50% of the business that we do is out of the United States and 50% is outside of the United States. So the barometer for us that's been really interesting is we've been tracking COVID as a global company since it started affecting our operations in China. Um, China's our biggest operation outside of the U.S. with about 200 people. Uh, so we have known what was happening there, um, and then therefore what the impact would be on our business. Um, and from a business perspective, uh, we're taking, you know, quite a big hit. Um, as you think about, um, organizations these days are not hiring leaders. Um, they, uh, are, uh, uh, not really, they're focusing on, uh, heads down, getting the work done, what's needed for their organization and less, on what is needed to develop the next generation of leaders. So discretionary spending on training, development, talent management, succession, uh, those things are challenging. Uh, we're still by the side of a lot of executives with the executive coaching uh, that, that we are doing along the way. And our business has absolutely pivoted for 12 years. We've been um, focused on making sure that we had digital versions of our solutions and um, what we call live virtual classrooms. So it's simulating all getting together, but you do it via, guess what, Zoom before Zoom became the popular term uh, that everybody's using for COVID. And uh, so we've uh, done pivots there with our business going up 400% in those areas, which is quite a competitive advantage for us. But it's been hard. Um, because we've had to make a lot of cuts to projects, to processes, um, some difficult people decisions, uh, whether it's reduction in force or furloughing till we're back in a more steady state for the organization. So that's, it's amazing. I've stepped up to things that I never thought I would have to do. Um, and, uh, and certainly that uh, my father and the leaders before us didn't have to make these types of seismic changes um, regarding that. So that's a little 
um, purview into the business. Would you like me to segue over into personally? Absolutely. We want to know how you're doing and, and you know, how, I mean, my life has toppled over. Um, I'm curious how you're doing. I love that. So it's toppled over and um, we're all looking forward to getting back, but it's not going to be like turning the light switch on. It's going to be more like turning the dimmer up a little bit brighter mm. every single day um, as we do that. So uh, I, I was corresponding with actually another working mom in my neighborhood um, via email on a work-related thing uh, just yesterday. And I said, you know, I used to relish those Every couple of weeks, I would have a day working at my home office, and uh, you just would feel like, this is great. I don't have to do the commute. I've got all this, and now it's so draining, and uh, um, and we've got actually you know, burnout for being on Zoom meetings and too much of that, and you just miss the, the physical uh, connection that you can have with people. Um, I'm glad I'm not alone because I have a 20-year-old son who's home from university. And uh, so we've, we're doing um, things. He, he's really stepped into um, being a, a adulting, shall we say. So doing, you know, more cooking and I keep giving projects about clean the garage out. And, uh, and at this moment, like all 20 year old boys would want to do, he is tasked with the fact that before my photo albums for him went digital, Everything was printed pictures and I've got printed pictures and empty albums. So he's getting to fill albums with his childhood memories, which he's not a sentimentalist as I am. So, uh, so it's, it's more of a labor of must do it, not a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a wonderful, uh, wonderful son. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Um, so, you know, speaking of uh, son and then motherhood, um, Tissy, I'd like to go back in time. Um, when you first became a mother, how did it affect your career and life? Um, so to, to be uh, um, pretty disclosive about the whole thing, uh, I mean, uh, I grew up with an incredible mother and father, and my mother worked part-time. My father built a business. My father would say he couldn't have built the business without my mother by his side. Um, but my, my mother was a professional uh, uh, part-time worker and full-time volunteer starting up a whole lot of great stuff. So I had some incredible role models, and I think I also gave myself a really big yardstick to which to measure myself against, trying to be the best of both mommy and dad. Um, so when my son was born in the year 2000, I moved to working part-time, um, but that lasted five months because a little bit before my son turned six months old, my husband turned to me and asked for a divorce, and I found out he was having an affair. Okay. So I've been a single mom for 19 and a half years of my son's life. And I went right back to work. Um, and But I did have to do a pivot because, as I just mentioned, our business is a lot about training. I was on the road and with in-client organizations. Um, I worked in Europe for a number of years and, um, and then back in the United States. And so I had to change the way I was working in the part of the business that I was working in because of being a single working mom, you can't spend three out of every four weeks on the road um, doing consulting. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that was 
that was that. And I um, am glad because that afforded me a lot of foundational um, changes um, to uh, that helped me to pivot. So it was, you know how there's a lot of people who talk about the career ladder versus yep. the career mm-hmm. lattice. Um, I ended up taking a lot of lattice sideways type of moves uh, for a number of years. Um, and, um, and then in about 2008 with actually the, the last fiscal crisis, um, I stepped up and took a, um, probably the most pivotal career change for me, which was, um, helping build and managing a new product line, um, for us that became the fastest growing product over the next three years. Wow. It was a roller coaster and it set me on, uh, a pathway, to uh, become a vice president, a senior vice president. Um, and so my son was um, seven when when that happened. Uh, I was vice president when he was 10. I became a senior vice president over a big business unit when he was 12. And I became CEO when he was 15. Um, so um, so that's that. But I, I have to say, I never thought I didn't plan this. And I think every little setback and every little challenge gave me strength that I don't think I would have realized I had, um, including uh, becoming a single parent when my son was five months old. Yeah, wow. I actually didn't know that you were a single mom and that had happened. Um, wow. I'm so sorry. Oh, it, uh, I, what's the Kelly Clarkson song? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, I mean, you've clearly, you know, you you clearly didn't just have a cakewalk of a life, um, but you've made uh, such an example um, for so many um, aspiring leaders, not just women, but also men. Um, It's just, it's so commendable. And my question to you is, what sort of choices and trade-offs did you have to make to really become the person you've become? So I think there's... um... Uh, professional trade-offs and then uh, personal trade-offs. Um, but let me preface this by, uh, you probably know of the the study that was published in Harvard Business Review, but it was based on individuals that graduated from Harvard and whether they were raised by a working mom. Do you, Are you familiar with this one? Um, how uh, people with working moms made more money? Is that exactly. the one? Exactly. Um, but specifically, women uh, who were raised by working moms made more money than their mother ever made. And mm. young men who were raised by working moms um, take a greater percentage of the um, household chores in their own uh, relationships when they get older. So isn't that funny based on what I told you earlier? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, um, uh, that's there. So, you know, it's funny because while I was going to frame it as, as professional and personal, they actually both, they feed each other, of course. So professionally, um, the trade-off, uh, would simply be, uh, when one door closes because of something you're not willing to do, like for me, the the traveling uh, as much, uh, what was uh, what was I looking for next in my career to make a transition? And in my case, um, I moved over into uh, more relationship with our products and education and all of that. But you know, as you tend to say to yourself as a working parent, 
and a working mom, because I, I have a wise mentor who uh, is about 20 years old, no, 15 years older than me, that she did the exact same thing. She had um, twins and then, a, and then two years later, a, um, another uh, son was born. And so she had three little kids as she was entering. And she did all that during getting her doctoral dissertation done, by wow. the way, balancing twins with a typewriter, one on each knee uh, and all of that. Uh, she came to work in consulting and immediately said, I want a job where I don't have to travel because I just can't. Mm-hmm. But then, lo and behold, she ended up spending, the op- the next opportunity was there, and she ended up spending way more time traveling than she ever would have thought she would. But she put herself in a position where she made less money because the perception was when you were out with the clients, you earned more for the company than when you were internal and so she got, she asked for what she wanted and, uh, and what she had earned based on the fact that she was doing just as strong of a job as her cohort who was traveling or was traveling a little bit more than she was. So that was a good realization for me because you put your own mental blinders on about what you can do and can't do um, around that. And I think personally, I never could have done it that um, I, my son and I had 15, 16 years. Um, Raising Uh, kids is expensive everywhere. How did you make it financially work and what sort of choices did you have to make? So that's a a good question. So I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is um, one of the greatest places for really good cost of living, really good outdoor summer festivals um, and the like. And by the way, I am uh, a mile away from my parents and my brother. And I am back where I grew up. So I have a network of friends and all of that. So you know how it takes a village to do anything. It absolutely does take a village if you are a single mom. And so um, so I money goes pretty far um, in a small town. And um, but uh, with a big town appeal, because I'm only a quick 20 minutes to downtown Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and um and then that, um, and then also with uh, my parents, and then also I mentioned I had an au pair as opposed to a um, full-time nanny. The au pair was living in. There's the J-1 visa, so the costs uh, that you pay the individual are all wrapped into a planned package. So you know how you can afford that. Um, so that did make it affordable um, with respect to that. I think you know you also. Um, want to make sure that, um, and particularly like for my au pair and my son, you know, we had memberships to a few things. We didn't try to do everything. Um, so memberships to the zoo, memberships to the children's museum and, uh, leverage those a lot in going to outdoor parks and things like that. And I love to cook. So a lot more, mm-hmm. um, do that at home. So you figure out where your expenditures go. But I have to say that I don't, it would have been a completely different scenario if I'd been in New York city or or in London, which are cities that I've lived in in the past, because the cost of living is a lot higher, the cost of childcare is higher, the cost of everything is higher. That makes sense. And I think especially during uh, times of crises like these, a lot of nuclear families are realizing um, how much they're missing out by not being closer to their parents or in-laws or families. Um, Totally. Yeah. Um, Totally. It also sounds like you've been pretty resourceful in the decisions you've made. 
uh, whether choosing an au pair or um, such membership programs. So uh, these are really good tips. Um, speaking of managing resources, Tacey, how, do you, how have you managed your time being a single mom, being a leader of a company and having just such a busy work life? It's very funny because um, when uh, we're a leadership company, I would say I honed my leadership skills on um, on working with my au pair before I ever became a formal leader to people at the office <laughs> because we would have we would have weekly sit downs on Sunday. We would go through the schedule of what needed to get done. Um, I would have some that like to cook more than others, and we would like do meal planning, and then I would send them to off to the grocery store. Uh, when my son was, you know, he would go to nursery school class or, or whatever, um, uh, uh, that I was all that I was praised by my au pairs compared to some other, um, people because of my high planfulness gene. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that like, if I said, I'm going to this, uh, board meeting after work and I will be home at eight 30. I was almost always home at eight 30, you know, and, or I have a friend's birthday party on Friday night. Um, you can expect me home at this time and, you know, which allowed them if I was going to be home by 11 for, for, um, by the way, 19, 20 year old girls, their, their life sometimes starts at that hour. So they would just leave after, you know, their job was done and then, and then they would leave when I got home. So, so we, the, the planfulness and the management, uh, of that helped, but there was also letting go. Cause you, I originally, mm -hmm. started to, I wanted to, um, in my mind, like if it was, um, uh, my son's friend from elementary school's birthday party. Well, I wanted to be there to help get that gift for Emmett. And I wanted to take him into, in the olden days, you took him into Toys R Us and they got to pick out their present for Emmett. And, uh, and then I realized, you know, that's one less thing I could need to put on my list. And so after school, I could have the au pair take Spencer to Toys R Us to get Emmett's gift. So that was letting go of my mind of things that I should do versus I really needed to do. Huh. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, at the beginning of the interview, you were mentioning how when you first became a mom, you wanted to be the best at both <laughs> being a mom and uh, in your work. Um, how did you get to this place where you could sort of, you know, uh, cut yourself some slack and be kinder to yourself? and let go because i think a lot of parents really struggle with it totally totally um it it is it, there's never going to be a like a magic formula um and and I, somebody might hit a wall and just say i can't do all this or you might just uh, out of necessity because of travel or because of work and overload just realize i need to delegate more i need to ask for more help um, um, but that, that's it. I mean, I would tell anybody who would be a leader to literally write down all the things that they have to get done and then whittle that list down by a third or a quarter. And is that something that either you don't really need to do, or you could ask somebody else to do, um, um, or even by the way, there's points that are chores and things like that, that your kids should be doing themselves. Right. Uh, so, so, uh, um, so, uh, you know, teaching that responsibility, but there's, they, it's sometimes it's just lo looking at the list and it gets, gets overwhelming and, uh, and you need to spend your time on the most critical focused things, uh, for you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, TC, I think of the people we're interviewing, you're probably one of the most suited people to answer this next question, which is what changes can workplaces make in policies and culture to make life easier for working moms? And I'm also curious, as a leader, what do you do um, at DDI to make things better and easier for the parents who work for you? So um, we have always had a culture that it is critically important for leaders to make accommodations for families because we don't want you to miss out on things that are important. So if it is the kindergarten play at the end of the year and that happens to fall between nine and five, we want you to leave the office and not miss it. Um, if you um, have always promised your child that you would be the uh, little league coach, um, and that means that's two times a week, um, we could make that happen. We can't make that happen for you forever, ever, ever, but you could do it for one season. Um, because particularly now, we have all demonstrated that work doesn't have to be done between the nine and the five at the office. And we can all do the time shifts. And so, um, and, you know, and that's related being a parent, or you might be, um, my assistant gave a kidney to her husband. And so she is, was the primary caregiver as well as she was in recovery for her kidney. And so what did we need to do to shift her work and make life manageable and meaningful there? So um, uh, being very family focused uh, is, is very important for individuals. So that's what we do um, professionally. Uh, so um, one of the things I also think that workplaces need to do is um, walk the talk and model that. So um, if it is not believed that, so I will tell anyone that I am leaving most recently, but I'm, leave, I'm leaving early on a Friday because I am driving to parents weekend at my son's college. And you can reach me in the car. So I'm modeling that the that that the the work can shift because if that's not seen, then people won't do that themselves as leaders or as team members. Um, policies that can change. Um, I mean, I can say that in the 20 years of um, of that I've. Uh, 25 years that I've been at DDI, um, some of the policies that we've changed is that, you know, of course, there's um, uh, leave for uh, uh, new mothers uh, that is mandated by the state. But what can organizations do to um, accommodate beyond the six or eight weeks that is required, particularly if you're a small organization? So ask yourself, what would you want for your spouse, your daughter, um, uh, your family mm -hmm. member? We've changed to um, initially we started to change for adopted parents. So you would be able to, uh, to have leave associated with taking on adoption. Uh, whether that was a family member, we had a, a case of that way. We've uh, leave for um, people who are LGBTQ and also doing adoption. And now we have paternity leave uh, around there, which is uh, a great thing um, to help ease parents uh, along those ways. So that it, um, and so it's just a number of things that organizations can do. I know large organizations 
I'm a member of, um, right now I'm a member of the Women's Business Collaborative, um, mm-hmm. which is a roll-up of a lot of organizations that focus on um, helping advance women in the workplace. Um, specifically, there are things like Catalyst Organization, which gives the award every year, um, uh, Paradigm for Parity, the C200, um, uh, the you know Women on Boards 2020. Um, there's a lot of independent initiatives. And this is a roll up of those because we feel we are stronger together than we would be each one of us working on our independent mission, which is terrific. Um, And so if you look at the women I'm uh, involved with in that group and also in some groups with the conference boards, um, they're doing things around um, helping with counseling for new parents, uh, helping with uh, if you need to have uh, lactation uh, support and or um, uh, uh, breast milk delivered uh, uh, if you're on the road and get back to work. So there's a lot of policies that uh, organizations can look into to do the right accommodations and or make us more forward thinking like there is in uh, Europe and Australia than we are here in the United States. Right, Sharu? Absolutely. And I really appreciate the specific tips. I'm sure a lot of listeners uh, will really appreciate and maybe take it uh, to their employers. Chasey, I know you've publicly talked about your dad and uh, he sounds like a wonderful role model and business leader. I'm curious about both your parents. What were they like and how did their parenting style influence your parenting style? Great question. Um, so my, uh, I grew up in a household where diversity inclusion was definitely a way of life. Um, I came to find out recently that um, in 1966, and I was born in 1968, my father was a uh, young psychologist working for J.C. Penney's in New York City, and um, he chaired the first Women in the Workplace Conference in New York City under the banner that was called Confrontation with Change. Huh. And it was groundbreaking at the time. It sold out, by the way. And in 1968, my mother was um, working for Campbell's Soup um, in the advertising agency. And um, she ran a halftime show for an NFL football game from the press box. And she was eight months pregnant with me. And she called my, she wasn't even in New York. She was in Los Angeles and she got out there and she called my father um, and she said, Bill, I don't think I can do this. And, uh, and as an ally, he jumped on a plane, got out and was there on the field corralling legions of teenage girls that were actually performing in the halftime show down, down on the thing. And, um, and so I, I've got these great role models that were there. My mother never did full-time work again after that because I came along and then my brother came along two years later. And then she was um, by the side of my father as he was um, building his business, um, which he would call himself an accidental entrepreneur because he just was searching, found some things, and then published an article in Harvard Business Review 
uh, with some great results on how to hire better managers and through a groundbreaking process. And then all of these companies around the world started calling saying, hey, that write-up you did about the work you did for JCPenney that was in the Harvard Business Review, I'd like to hire you to come do that in South Africa, do that in Japan, and do that in companies around the U.S. So he said he was sort of an accidental entrepreneur because wow. he sat there with the opportunity um, that was there. So um, so I, I think, you know, you might have... Uh, geneticists who would disagree, but it's, you know, so, but be, being focused on women and the balance of that is definitely a part of my DNA. And so um, I think I grew up with the work hard motto, um, uh, a lot of uh, service orientation, um, a lot of my parents, um, both helping out in the community, but how I was expected to help out um, with respect to if they were doing a party, an event for the company at the house, you know, we all had to pitch in and do the, and I only have one sibling, a younger brother, um, but we pitched in and did setup and we did cleanup. And, you know, so just a lot of what the expectations are um, around entertaining, around um, growing and, and what that means to how people's perceptions are about you as an individual, you as a leader, um, and, uh, and what you can do to help others. Wow. And it sounds like you're putting some, well, it sounds like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And, uh, it sounds like your, your, uh, uh, your, your son is benefiting from sort of these leadership training modules at home as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, proof will be in the pudding, but uh, um, he, he, I will say his sophomore year of college, he came home and told me about how um, he had uh, gotten in and he was a resident advisor and head of the oh, film wow. society and a few other um, big brother, big sister. And I was like sitting there going, yes. <laughs> um, so geez, there, are, there are lots of moms who need a paycheck for their family. Um, but they're not appreciated at work or they, they don't like their job, but they don't know what else to do. Um, what advice do you have for these women, you know, who, who, who think that, wait, this job is not worth it. I'd rather be home with my kids. So tough question, because is, is the situation um, that you, the job's not worth it because of a variety of factors. So you are not being appreciated. You're not in the right place. Um, I mean, I would say that whatever you do for work, find something that fulfills your purpose and, um, and that it doesn't feel like work as much. Um, and so if you're not getting that, um, from your current job, um, look around your organization, network, find the next opportunity within your organization, if you like where you are, but not your leader, um, uh, to make that next stepping stone uh, around there and continue to uh, use that uh, network externally to find out where you might want to go. Find, talk to people when you're having coffee, um, if you're at the playground with your kids on the weekends and you're with some other working mothers and ask them what they do, what they like, how they, that is, that becomes your network as well. Um, so be curious um, and uh, don't settle. That's really good advice. 
I think it's a huge problem uh, for our society and economy that lots of um, young moms um, they 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 just leave the workforce because they don't see any other option. They don't like their job. Uh, most or all of their uh, paycheck can go into childcare if they're earlier in their careers and living in big cities. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that's really great advice to find something that you really love to do. Um, that makes leaving your child behind at home with a stranger worth it. Yep. And I have um, two friends whose kids were in um, uh, nursery and childcare alongside my son. And one of them was a mother of three boys. And she had all three of them in the school at the exact same time. And she mm. knew she was taking a hit. Um, at that point, but she did not want to step back on what that would mean for her from an advancement perspective. Um, so she continued to plow through. Um, and another one who said, you know what, when they're really little, I, I, they don't need you as much Mm. as when they get into the difficult challenges of moving through middle school and moving through high school and I'd rather put myself in a position now that I will give myself more flexibility later when they really need me. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like they don't need you when they're little, um, but their needs are very different than the emotional, psychological, you know, you don't have bullying issues when you're in the toddler room at the childcare issue, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not, you know, how do you talk to somebody about cyber bullying or what they wear and, uh, uh, and how important it is to raise your limits for yourself and, uh, your goals, uh, when you're writing your papers and, uh, you know, is, is an 88 really good enough for you personally? And, you know, so there's a lot more challenges as you, uh, step through into the older age brackets. Um, so not to say, uh, it, it gets easier, uh, but all those <laughs> other, all those, all those challenges, uh, at the early ages prepare you for the challenges as they get older. Yeah. And when they're little, maybe the moms will remember the things and the milestones that they missed, but the kids won't. That's right. That's yeah. right. In fact, uh, my son found uh, the list I had of um, words that in the first, uh, it was a calendar that you put stickers on, you know, and so it's like mm-hmm, when you said mm-hmm. your first word, when you did all those things. And uh, that's part of the going through the old photo albums process. So he's finding Aww. these things. So we just reflected on some of those little milestones that we, he was like, oh, that is kind of cute. <laughs> that was very heartwarming. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so what advice do you have, Tacey, for women and men? who are planning to have kids, but are scared about it affecting their careers? Like, when is the right time to have kids? Well, that's a personal choice. Um, and, uh, and sometimes the, the, the gods aren't going to help you have it all come out exactly as, even if you're as planful as I am, it may not happen exactly as you, as you want it. So there's, there's, wouldn't necessarily be a perfect time. I, um, I have a cousin who accidentally got pregnant at the age of 25 and she decided to, um, uh, the, the man was not involved at all, and she uh, was raising her daughter as a single mom for three years and then got married and subsequently had two more kids. But she wanted to have kids when she was young, when she was active, when she was able to, to be with them and do that. And I have another friend 
from college and I um, might have shared I'm in my 50s. She's 52. She got pregnant at 49 with her first child, gave birth at 50, and she has a two-year-old. And so my 30-year Mount Holyoke College reunion outside of COVID was supposed to be taking place this May. And I cannot tell you how excited all of us who are parents of 20-year-olds and teenagers were to meet to, to meet little Katie, who was two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the case of um, Julianne, it, she, uh, by the way, uh, put herself through college by being ROTC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went and um, uh, got her um, dental degree and then her medical degree. She's an oral maxillofacial surgeon. She worked at Walter Reed Hospital where they um, would uh, have the patients um, who would be coming out of war and an IED um, had gone off and they had lost part of their face and she'd be doing reconstructive surgery on them. Oh. Um, and was released, finally moved to Portland and is part of a private practice, met this wonderful, um, young man. She does triathlons, by the way, just for fun. Yeah. And, and so there's no perfect time. And so you can always make it work, um, uh, for you and, uh, whether you are 25 or whether you are 52, um, uh, so, uh it's, it's a good rewarding uh, experience also because of the challenges that you um, put yourself through thinking you never could have made some of those things. And again, back to what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Parenthood's not going to kill you. It's going to make you stronger. Oh, that's very well said. And it sounds like um, there, there are definitely uh, certain actions or decisions one can make to set themselves up for success, but then life does throw curveballs at you and You've just got to be flexible and just try to make the best of life. Yep. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, uh, in parenthood, there will be trying times, but it sounds extremely rewarding. Absolutely. I would recommend it for anyone. I think people have been doing it for generations. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, this was a very fun and insightful chat. I uh, also got tons of inspiration and specific resources um, as I also think about, uh, you know, when I might want a child and how that might affect my own career. Um, so I'm very grateful, Tasia, that you made time for this. Thank you. No so problem. Much. And I would, by the way, recommend, um, uh, if I could, um, I wrote a book called Your First Leadership Job, and uh, it's in six languages, and uh, it's got 30. 40,000 copies, and I don't know how many in China because there's 2,500 five-star reviews of my book in China. Um, And uh, there's a whole chapter on women in the workplace and women at work, and it's a really practical um, uh, resource that uh, I would recommend for anyone on on thinking through things. And it has a lot to do, uh, particularly for women, about 
um, declaring yourself, asking for what you want, learning from your failures, how to use that network. There's a, a chapter on that. Um, how to ask for your boss, what your boss actually wants from you, and then how do you ask your boss what you want from them? Uh, so a lot of practical, if you said you really like those practical tips, I recommend that. And I'm working on my second book on women in leadership, um, that keeps getting derailed recently. Um, but, uh, will be coming out. It's going to be called Amplify. That's amazing. Uh, and especially your first book sounds really, um, actionable and specific. Uh, so I'll definitely check it out right away. Thank you for Thank sharing. You. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share with your friends and subscribe to Working Moms wherever you get your podcast. Have a great day and I'll talk to you next week.